Mark Leader is the co-CEO of Sun Capital Partners, a global private equity firm that has helped oversee investment in more than 340 companies worldwide, with revenues in excess of $45 billion. Over the course of two decades, Mark has developed a winning strategy to fix ailing businesses and transform them into major successes. Prior to his work at Sun Capital, Mark served as a senior vice president of Lehman Brothers in New York. So I think that's pretty important. I said before, you gotta, you gotta love what you do. If you're just doing something to make money or because you think it's an interesting business, but you're not passionate about it, you're never gonna be great at it. In this compelling conversation, Mark shares the story of his journey from an analyst at Lehman Brothers to a leading player in the private investment industry. He also offers compelling insights into how we can chart a course toward a lucrative career and find peace and fulfillment amidst the stresses of everyday life. Please enjoy our conversation with Mark Leader. You're listening to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. For more information about the Ivy community and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us at membership at ivy.com. So before we dive into the intricacies of private equity, I really want to get started with asking you about what got you inspired in the first place to enter the world of finance and entrepreneurship? Sure. So uh, my father always wanted me to be a doctor. So uh, I don't know if I was too squeamish or just rebellious, but I didn't go down that path. Uh, and always had a passion for uh, Wall Street, numbers, finance, uh, mergers and acquisitions. I remember when I was 12, 13 years old, my father would come home from work. I would take the Wall Street Journal out of his briefcase and I would read it. I didn't know what it meant, but I read it anyway. Uh, and uh, then I was in college and I was reading an article in Forbes magazine about uh, one of the pioneers in private equity, a guy named Jay Jordan. And it talked about how he would buy these companies and we'd borrow the money to do it and he would fix them if they were broken and grow them and sell them for a big profit. And I just thought that sounded so cool. Uh, and. Uh, went to work on Wall Street and eventually into private equity. Okay, so these days, you know, since the financial crisis, the financial industry has been getting a bit of a bad rep and private equity especially sometimes is seen as this, you know, more opaque, um, potentially like, you know, some, like, uh, as a force that might sometimes cause damage in the economy. But there's a lot of this is like big misconceptions. So in your view, the way you would put it, what is the role of private equity in the economy, and what are the biggest misconceptions about it? Well, I, I think the role of private equity and venture capital is to marry uh, great financial expertise with also industry and business expertise and provide them together to a company to help them to grow and prosper. And uh, I think there's a number of myths about our industry. Uh, one myth is that it's a bunch of really wealthy Wall Street fat cats making a lot of money. And sure, we, we do well when our investors do well, but the money we invest is for university endowments, uh, pension funds, uh, charitable foundations. So the vast majority of the money we make goes to those institutions that use it to provide benefits to their people. Uh, another myth is that we strip down companies and we break them into pieces and fire a lot of people. 
but the real money is made in private equity by growing companies, making them bigger, investing in our people, uh, and the vast majority of private equity deals have added jobs. Uh, and then I'd say the final piece is that you know, we, we put all this debt on companies. Well, we all have debt, credit card debt, mortgages on our homes, there's nothing wrong with using debt. Uh, in fact, using debt enhances equity returns, so you make more money with your money if you have a proper level of debt, and that's our expertise. We're probably better at it as an industry than the entrepreneurial family or, or public company that doesn't have that same expertise. So what was the opening in the market that you saw that made you think, okay, I'm going to go ahead and actually start a company in such a competitive space? So uh, Roger, I have a partner that I've been friends with for 38 years. We met in college freshman year and uh, started Sun Capital together after working on Wall Street. We were visiting a client, uh, Bain Capital up in Boston, and uh, they were talking about a deal that they really had struggled with and uh, they were complaining about it. Uh, and uh, it was just really frustrating to them. And uh, we started going through the numbers and they made three times their money on the investment. Uh, and that to them was a bad deal. And then I remember it was uh, late December, Roger and I were flying back to New York and because of snow, the flight was delayed, we were just sitting in the airport uh, and we were saying, okay, if, if that's a bad deal, <laughs> uh, this sounds like definitely a better place to be than, than working at a, a Wall Street firm. Uh, and literally the next day we went into work and resigned our jobs and uh, I told my wife afterwards. <laughs> First piece of advice, maybe you talk to your wife about that before. <laughs> uh, but it worked out pretty well. And what was the beginning like, the first couple of years to get you going? What were the biggest challenges? How did you overcome them? So uh, we, we knew how to close uh, to buy a company. We, that was the experience we had working on Wall Street, but we didn't know how to run any companies. Uh, so that was certainly one challenge. But even before then, uh, we had no brand, uh, no reputation, no track record. We didn't have a committed pool of, of money. Uh, and here we are trying to compete with, with established firms. Uh, so we went almost two years without getting anything done. Uh, I remember we shared a tiny office, a couple hundred feet, uh, square feet, just uh, Roger and me. And uh, we joke, but it's true. I made the coffee and he made the copies because he didn't drink coffee. So <laughs> if I wanted, I had to drink, I had to make it myself. And uh, finally, we got our first few deals done. And it's like the proverbial dog chasing the car. What do you do when you catch it? And that was us. So we finally bought a couple of companies. And then we looked at each other. Now what, what do we do? These companies are struggling. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> uh, but we kind of figured it out through trial and error. Okay, amazing. So. What, what I want to ask is, you know, going from there, and it's, it's easy to forget that every business starts this way, right? It's a couple people in a room dreaming big. Uh, what do you think were the distinguishing factors that actually enabled you to be successful? Like, what was in you and your partner's DNA that made this a success? Uh, I think a uh, few qualities. One, we're both really impatient. And there's the old adage that patience is a virtue. We always say impatience is a virtue. Uh, we're both intense, get it done now, get it done today. When, when our people talk to us about uh, doing something on Monday, we'll, we'll say, well, it's, it's Wednesday night, what's wrong Thursday morning? So intensity, passion, you gotta love what you do. If you don't love what you do, you, you're, just, you're not gonna do it that well. Uh, and then I would say a super, super high level of integrity. Uh, and uh, it takes a lifetime to build a reputation and you, you can ruin it in, in 30 seconds. And at the end of the day, even before the internet, uh, and social media, 
there was great communication. People kind of know uh, who you are, what you stand for, how you conduct yourself, and people want to do business with people that they trust and that they, and that, and that they like. Okay, amazing. And then in terms of like the business aspects of Sun Capital, so we just watched this video about the Sun Capital system, which I guess you uh, evolved it over time. But in a nutshell, you know, what really makes your private equity firm different from all the others that are out there? So in private equity, there, there's, uh, most firms buy healthy companies and work to make them uh, bigger and, and, and better, but they're, they're starting out very healthy. Uh, we do those deals, but uh, a large part of our business is taking uh, sick or broken companies, fixing them. So we have a much bigger focus on, on how to fix broken companies versus just growing ones that are already healthy. And that's why we have the elaborate sun transformation system animated video. Uh, for those of you who want to see it you know, a second, third, or fourth time, it's on our website. <laughs> Unlike Netflix, no monthly subscription. Okay, fantastic. And uh, so what are some of the, so you talked about, I, I'm going to push you a bit harder. Is there so, someone standing behind us saying laughter now? <laughs> what would you say, so you said impatience is a virtue for you and your co-founders. So do you apply that in your deal process? So what makes you guys different? Like when someone, why would a company sell itself to you rather than somebody else in your opinion? Sure. Uh, so because we are often buying companies that are broken, Maybe they're running out of money, they can't make payroll next month, uh, they're losing customers, uh, they're losing their best people. Uh, they want to get deals done quickly. And throughout our history, they're willing to trade off a lower price for a faster deal. But private equity firms tend to be cautious. We, we don't want to lose our money. You don't want to go to a university endowment and say, sorry, you know, no scholarships next year, we've lost your, your money. So they tend to be cautious and they look underneath every rock in their due diligence process. What could go wrong? What could, what, what's, what's broken about this business that I should be worried about, and they take four, five, six months. Well, a lot of companies don't have that long that we're looking to, to, to uh, buy, so we learned how to do it uh, more efficiently. We close deals in 30 days. We figure out what's really critical. Uh, we talk all the time how some of our uh, competitors can get lost in the fog. Uh, we try to focus on really what's critical and figure those things out uh, so that we can move more quickly and, and save these businesses that are running out of money. Okay. What's your uh, current outlook on the economy and where do you see the biggest opportunities? So, uh, the economy, uh, well, at least in the United States and in, in Europe and pretty much globally is uh, kind of slow and steady growth is what we're seeing. There's some pockets that are a little bit different. So, for example, in the UK with Brexit, consumer confidence is down and uh, consumers are not buying big ticket items. So, we're seeing that trend in the UK, but generally globally, uh, slow and steady growth. Uh, with that said, uh, this is the third longest recovery in U.S. history since 1854. Uh, and after a recovery is a recession. So I think most smart people are expecting a recession. Uh, no one quite knows when it'll hit, but you probably want to consider that if you're investing or starting a business. Uh, I'd say one of the big changes in business uh, or, or trends that we've seen is just there's so much money available for, for businesses. Uh, whether it's starting a tech business or raising a fund to invest in real estate, there's so much liquidity, so much money out there looking for good investments uh, that that is, is much better than it was when we got started uh, 22 years ago. Okay, and uh, in terms of new technologies and new ways of doing business, uh, what are the key trends that you're seeing these days? Well, I think like uh, a lot of people are reading about and talking about, uh, technology has really become disruptive. 
uh, we looked at a company that uh, makes breathalyzers. So uh, in states, based on state law, if you get one or two DUIs, uh, you have to have a breathalyzer installed in your car. And it was a really interesting company, great market position, uh, but as we thought about it, with self-driving cars, uh, our concern was, well, there'll be as many DUIs, and obviously fewer DUIs is a good thing, but not if you're making breathalyzers. So <laughs> you, you, you've got to think about uh, you know, technology, which really wasn't a factor five years ago. Okay, interesting. Um, and um, so do you have like a recent success story that you're especially proud of, an investment that you made? Um, sure, so uh, everyone I'm sure uh, has bought a mattress. Uh, and uh, you've all probably been to a specialty store like Sleepy's or Mattress Firm in the United States. Uh, well, we a few years ago bought a company called Dreams uh, in the UK. First of all, love that name for a, a mattress retailer, Dreams. Uh, so uh, the company uh, had overexpanded, uh, it was mismanaged, uh, it went into administration, which is the UK version of bankruptcy. Uh, it was losing 3.6 million pounds. They had 280 stores, and the company was literally about to be liquidated. So we came along, uh, we bought 180 of the stores, uh, so not all of them, but uh, the majority of them, and uh, totally re revamped the company. Uh, we uh, invested a lot of money, we remodeled every store. Uh, it's interesting, it takes people uh, a while to pick the mattress they want. And at some point during that process, if one individual or the other or the family has to go to the bathroom and the bathrooms are, are dirty or disgusting, they tend to leave the store. And these bathrooms were horrible. <laughs> uh, so we remodeled the stores, particularly the bathrooms, which we actually decorated with throw rugs and, and, and uh, flowers. I mean, I've gotten lots of emails from, from uh, usually females in the UK who tracked down that we're the owner of Dreams, thanking me for the great bathroom <laughs> when they were shopping for a mattress. <laughs> so uh, so we, we invested a lot of money, we remodeled all the stores, uh, we, uh, we improved the assortment of, of, of mattresses, uh, they had a factory that made mattresses and there was like all these people running around with mattresses, you know, balanced on their heads. <laughs> and we thought there's gotta be a better way to move a mattress from one part of the factory to another than, you know, balance on, on your head. So we, we, we fixed that up. Uh, we, we invested a lot training the people. Uh, you know, people want to win, they want to be successful, but you got to give them the tools. So it may, it's not intuitive to everyone how you sell someone a mattress. I uh, help them decide what's right for them. So we trained them on how to do that uh, and then started compensating them better for the, for the ones who, who did a better job of it. Uh, and uh, we've grown the company uh, substantially. We've opened a lot of stores, created a lot of jobs, and. Uh, as of June, uh, our uh, profitability is 45 million pounds. So a uh, huge turnaround. And I think what's most fun about that is we learned the plays in that playbook, so to speak, because we did the same thing with Mattress Firm in the United States. Uh, and after we did that with Mattress Firm, we sold it to another private equity firm. They continued to grow the business. They eventually sold it, uh, first through an IPO, and then they sold it, and then we repeated it in, in the UK which was kind of neat. Awesome. Um, it's, it's really fascinating to think about, you know, so the mattress firm itself, you know, wasn't innovating, wasn't figuring out how to do these things, and you came from the outside to fix it. And over these hundreds of investments that you've made, while I'm sure each one is very specific, there must be some, like, common themes that reoccur over and over again, like why certain businesses stagnate or stop innovating, stop 
uh, evolving. Um, what, what do you think are like the key kind of reasons that businesses don't do so well? Sure, and we, we get the question a lot, uh, and I wish I could give you a very simple answer and just say, oh, this is really easy. Every broken company is the same three things. Just you know, go ahead and fix them. But you saw that uh, the Sun, Sun Transformation System, it, there's a lot of tools in our toolkit. So I think what we do is more like uh, cooking, uh, where we've got a cupboard with dozens of ingredients. And each company requires only three or four or five of the ingredients, but you've got to pick the right three or four or five out of all 25 or 30 that we have. And you've got to apply them at the right time and with the right uh, cooking skills. Uh, so that's really uh, how we're able to fix businesses. But if I had to uh, narrow it, uh, changing industries, uh, whether it be uh, uh, technologies we talked about, uh, that's something where companies sometimes can get lost. They'll lose their way. The business changes and they don't adapt. There was a, a great book, Who Moved My Cheese? Uh, industries are always changing, and if you're not evolving, you're going to fall behind. Uh, you know, bad management information systems. Uh, companies generally prefer not to uh, upgrade or modernize their, their systems, which I don't blame them because it's really hard to do when data is lost and business is interrupted. Uh, but you can't really run a business if you don't have accurate data on a timely basis and the right data. Uh, so if your management information system, systems become old, uh, it's difficult. And then also you, companies can become just unwanted. A lot of the deals we do, we're buying what are called corporate orphans. So kind of unwanted divisions of, of big companies, and they tend to have been underinvested in and undermanaged. Okay. So you have this uh, awesome uh, perspective of both an entrepreneur and also an investor, um, as well as someone who's just seen hundreds of businesses. So from an investor's perspective, for everyone in the audience who invests or is looking to in the future, what have been, like, let's say, the three key kind of like pieces of advice you'd give to someone when they think about making an investment. Of course, investments come in all shapes and sizes, but in general, like in terms of how you manage your own psychology of, you know, because there's a lot of uncertainty always. So could you share a few tips of advice there? Sure, well, I would say that uh, uh, emotion uh, uh, has no place in investing. And I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is Get, letting fear of losing their money, greed, anger get in the way of investing. Uh, so many times I've seen people say, well, I, I, you know, this investment's not doing well. I want to get it fixed or better, or I want to wait till I get back to getting where my money, you know, get my investment out. Uh, that's the absolute wrong way to look at things. At Sun Capital, we never consider what we have invested. We consider what it's worth now, where we think we can take it, good or bad, and that forms our basis for investment. Uh, I've seen a lot of people when they're making investments uh, in like a negotiated transaction get really angry with the other party. The other party's not being fair or they're not being offered market terms. Well, a good deal's a good deal. Uh, and even if the other party's upsetting you through the negotiation or whatever the case may be, a good deal's still a good deal. And you should just bite your tongue and get it done. Okay, so emotions should take a back seat. Always. Always, okay. What about uh, as a, from the perspective of an entrepreneur? So you started, like in your own words, you said, you know, this is not something you've done before, and you bought companies, you'd never turned them around before. There's so many ups and downs uh, in this journey. So from uh, the perspective of advice that you'd give to entrepreneurs, what would that be? Uh, well, I, I would say 
uh, keep your ego out of business. Uh, we all make lots of mistakes. Uh, 22 years, 350 deals later, and Roger and I make deals every day. I'm usually him, but both of us. <laughs> uh, you, you, you can't get caught up, you know, if you're going down the wrong path or the wrong way, just turn around and go back. Don't, don't try to prove that you were right. Uh, so I, I think that's pretty important. I said before, you gotta, you gotta love what you do. If you're just doing something to make money or because you think it's an interesting business, but you're not passionate about it, you're never gonna be great at it. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.